Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football Garbage Time NFL Podcast. My name is Sakun Wong, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Football Garbage Time. And with me, as always, is senior staff writer and co-host Ryan Whitfield. And we got a special treat for you all today, as we got not just one, we got two fantasy football experts on the show lined up to answer your fantasy football questions. And no, I am not referring to Ryan and I. Although that's uh, although we're no strangers to self-promotion. I'm talking about the real deal. First, we got Matt Hicks here, founder of Top Sports, which is dedicated to getting you everything you need for, to reach your fantasy championship. And he is the co-host of Top the Pod Fantasy Sports Podcast. Thanks for coming on the show, Matt. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, talk some fantasy football with you guys. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. And, and all our listeners are going to really enjoy all the all the fantasy knowledge you're going to drop on them today. And they gave us a lot of questions for you to answer, so we're looking forward to this one. And we also have a return appearance back by popular demand, a guy with exceptional taste in sports teams and beer, Chris Hopper of the Beer Fueled Fantasy Podcast. Back with us again. Welcome back, Chris. Awesome having you back on the show. Thank you for having me back. Uh, uh, Matt, I feel like I talk to you every week, but uh, (laughs) Ryan, Hakum, thank you for having me on again. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this is going to be great. Um, we're doing something different this week, and thankfully, Matt and Chris have volunteered to be the uh, guinea pigs in our first ever all mailbag episode uh, for fantasy football. Uh, so, what we're doing is, as you saw on Twitter, uh, this is an all request show. We have a number of questions from all of you, our listeners and followers, and we've compiled them for Matt, Chris, and Ryan to answer just for you. So, don't say we never did anything for you. There is there was a lot of overlap, though, in these questions. So what I tried to do was combine some of them into some broader broader-based questions that we can use to maximize the number of people we can help out over the next half hour. So without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and get this started. So there were a lot of questions about general draft strategy. So let's do that first. Matt, let's start with you. What's your general draft strategy in a 12-team standard redraft league? And tell us, how does that change for PPR, Keeper, Dynasty, or, you know, the depth of that league, 10, 12, 14 teams? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, you have to keep in mind that your strategy should probably change every year and, and really look at what the player pool looks like each particular year. Um, this year in particular, uh, doing all my mock drafts so far, I have found – it best to go running back heavy. I think that that's really where the value is. And you can get a lot of value deep at the wide receiver position. So in all of my mocks, I've really been focused on at least the first two rounds going running back and then being willing to take that third running back in a row early. Um, in, in redraft leagues, I don't care how old the player is. I'm willing to take, you know, your Larry Fitzgerald, of course, in dynasty leagues, I'm really honing in on those rookies or those first or second year guys. Don't be afraid to take rookies. I was last year and I paid for it. So I'm willing to go and get those young guys. And, and does that change at all? Does any of this change at all? If it goes PPR, I mean, you, you know, you noted the running back heaviness of the drafts this year and the, the depth at wide receiver. Does that change anything for you? Well, I, I think not so much early on. I mean, of course there's a couple of guys that, that play better in standard, right? So like Jordan Howard, 
comes out a lot for being criticized, not being able to get his hands. So maybe he falls a little bit in PPR. But where it really shows up, I think, is when you get into the later rounds and the running backs really just they're not they're not great. You're looking at guys who are splitting time, maybe getting on the field a little bit. But that's when you get into your Duke Johnsons, your Chris Thompsons. Um, when it gets later in running backs, get those guys that can catch the ball. They can make a difference even if they're only actually rushing the ball eight to ten times a game. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's some good information about some general draft strategy that people should take. So, Chris, let's turn to you. What are your thoughts on your general draft strategy that you've seen this year in standard redraft leagues? And how does that change for PPR, Dynasty, Keeper, and all that other stuff? So I'm going to piggyback first off a little bit on what Matt said, because he's absolutely right about you should know the player pool and know, you know how deep you're going. One thing I noticed kind of putting my ranks together actually – started preliminary ranks right before I hopped on this show is tight end depth first off is not there. So um, tight ends probably something this year that I'm going to be punting a little bit, taking a couple flyers and then, you know, playing the waiver wires some, but generally speaking, I go in with tier based rankings. So I have, I know, you know, tier one, who are my elite players and who are my very good players. And I don't separate that by position. I'll have running backs and wide receivers mixed together in those tiers. So I'm getting the best value, but also being aware of what that depth pool is. As far as how it changes, Matt Matt made good call outs on age not mattering so much in redraft and going for younger players in dynasty. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on the other aspect, and that's league depth. And if you're in a shallower league, like a 10-team league, um, you can take a swing at some home run guys, some higher upside guys, and if they bomb, if they don't turn into anything, you know, guys without a lot of a floor – um, you can turn around and typically find good replacement depth on the waiver wire, safer guys, guys that are performing, guys to ro- rotate those guys in and out with. In deeper leagues, um, you know, 14 team plus, you're going to have a lot harder time finding talent on the waiver wire. So you need to be a little bit more careful and calculated with some of your later round draft picks, making sure you get some floor guys, making sure you get some good depth, um, and, and you know, taking more calculated risks. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's all. That's very interesting. Let me ask you really quickly about tight ends. You mentioned this kind of tight end situation. It's kind of developing here. What do you, because of the way the tight ends are falling in drafts now and this year, are you looking at taking any types of risks with any of the rookie tight ends? Because I know we had talked about this previously and, you know, generally you don't want to do that, but because of the way it's shaping up and because of kind of maybe the lack of depth of the position and the lack of excitement of the position, would you be taking any risks this year? The only one I'd maybe look at taking a risk on is Mike Kosecki in Mm -hmm. in Miami, just because of the situation that he landed in. They don't have a lot of options there, so you should have volume. There's some second-year guys like a George Kittle in San Francisco that I would be more willing to take a risk on. Then some older guys like a Benjamin Watson landing back in New Orleans with with Breeze at his breakout year. So I'd really be, if uh, one of the top eight or so doesn't, fall to me or doesn't fall at a place where I like them, I'm going to be looking to take a shot at somebody like in the same realm as one of those three later on in the draft. All right. Good information on that. And now, Ryan, we're going to turn to you for a second. And why don't you talk to us about what your general draft strategy has been in these types of leagues and all the different variations, PPR, Keeper, Dynasty, and different like league depth. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that I have uh, much much to add on that they didn't say there. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of uh, tearing out my players to um, – before I go in and, you know, I think I'm in, you know, typically four to five leagues and they're so different scoring wise that it's, it's really specific to what you're, to what you're looking at. 
Um, but overall, you know, I guess my overall general philosophy is just try to take the best player available and, and not outsmart yourself too much and not, uh, especially in the early, like the late early rounds to not be looking for value too much and let those value picks slide later and, and then try to get top end talent when you have the chance to at the beginning of the draft. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we've gotten a nice overview of all the general draft strategies here. Lots of great information here. Let's get into some of the specific questions that we've been getting from all of you, our listeners. I'm going to go ahead and hit up Chris first. Chris, the first question that I want to bring up here is about Hunter Henry, because obviously he has an ACL injury um, in camp and he is out for the entire year. There was a lot of excitement around Hunter Henry in that charger system coming into this year, finally being the guy of Antonio Gates out of the way, but now he's gone. So tell me, how does the Hunter Henry injury affect when and how you should look at drafting Phillip Rivers? How does it impact the other Chargers wide receivers? And how does it impact Melvin Gordon, Austin Eckler, and maybe even their seventh-round draft pick, Justin Jackson, at the running back position? Uh, I'm going to start with Rivers here. So it's a slight bump down to Rivers for me with Gates not re-signed, Hunter Henry gone, all of a sudden that kind of – 1A, 1B problem they had last year isn't there, and that's going to hurt him a little bit, especially in the red zone. Now, I do think they have the wide receiver depth to make up for it. Melvin Gordon showed strides in the receiving game, and as you mentioned, Justin Jackson is a solid receiver. As far as who this benefits, I think Mike Williams is going to be the main beneficiary, especially down in the red zone for targets. Um, You could look at Tyrell Williams potentially benefiting as well. Mike Williams had some high draft capital invested in him last year. He's a big-bodied outside receiver that dealt with injuries. So if he can stay healthy, I think that benefits him. Uh, As far as how this impacts the running back for me, it helps Melvin Gordon. I actually had some concerns with Williams in his second year about Gordon being able to sustain Mm -hmm. his target volume, but the injury to Henry, I think, kind of solidifies that. And then Eckler and Justin Jackson are – a little bit more interesting to me. I don't know that either of them necessarily has a ton of value, but you could see Jackson, who is really a depth receiver in college, carve out a, a nice role there with Eckler fulfilling more of a change of pace. But I'm interested to hear what the other two have to say on this. Oh, well, well let's turn it over to Ryan. Uh, why, what do you think about this situation, Hunter Henry, how it impacts the team, and when you should draft all these different players for the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to put everybody to sleep here because, uh, again, I'm going to pretty much echo exactly everything Chris just said. I mean, um, I think Mike Williams has the most to gain here, obviously, with the injury last year, disappointing uh, first season in the league. And when he came back uh, late in the season, he seemed to absolutely be a shell of himself. And I think that there was, uh, for myself and a lot of people, um, in particular, I have him in a keeper league where uh, guys finishing outside the top 100 uh, can be kept at their uh, – in a uh, – an auction league, sorry, an auction league. So guys outside the top 100 you can keep for uh, half their AAV kind of deal. Um, so mm-hmm. Mike Williams should be a really enticing prospect for me in that league. But before this injury, I was very concerned about the pot- potentially keeping him, um, even at that value, just because of the fact that uh, there were a little bit more mouths to feed there. So I, I agree that Philip Rivers takes a slide back a little bit, especially as, you know, throughout his career, he's always had kind of an dependable tight end he can go to. Um, so Mike Williams has the most to step up. I think Tyrell Williams can have a good season. Uh, there mm-hmm. and especially you know Keenan Allen's always one play away from being out for the season so if he goes down those two have uh, have a huge chance to step up uh, and, and get a lot of the get a lot of the targets this year yeah okay and Matt what are your thoughts about this Hunter Henry situation you know I I don't mean to just repeat people but they they nailed the they nailed it on the head there uh, Mike Williams is going to be the big beneficiary uh, as far as red zone targets goes because remember um, Williams not performing his rookie year was 
was not due to his play style. That was uh, an injury concern. It seems like he's back 100% healthy from that. Um, and I will remind people, and, and I'm a huge Hunter Henry guy, Hunter Henry didn't contribute to the offense very much last year. So keeping that in mind that the offense can function and perform well without him. So um, I think, you know, if you're knocking down Phillip Rivers, you're doing it because you are excited about how much more he could do. And he finished, I believe, his QP8 last season. So he's still a good option in redraft leagues. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, Matt, what do you think about uh, the other tight ends in uh, Los Angeles there? Do you think there's any possibility that someone like Virgil Green ends up stepping up this season, seeing as how there is no, there's been, at least at this point, no re-signing of Antonio Gates? I'm not getting excited about anybody else on that depth chart. Um, if if you're in a deeper league, maybe your roster, maybe you can roster 15 to 25 guys, um, something like that. Uh, maybe it's worth taking a late round flyer. If you were the Hunter Henry owner, maybe it's worth picking up uh, Green. But I'd probably be hitting the the trade block trying to get another guy. I'm not banking on on Green. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is uh, some good information about all the you poor people who actually already drafted because <laughs> we were in a couple of best ball leagues and some people have already gotten Hunter Henry at a premium. And uh, and I, I was one of those people who was uh, going after him this year. So it's a real, real hit for the Chargers here. Real shame that he won't be able to show it off. But there's some great information for all you out there playing fantasy football about how you can handle that situation. Let's go on to the next question that we got from the uh, from our listeners. That is about Brandon Marshall. So Brandon Marshall recently signed to a one-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. The question is, is Brandon Marshall, Marshall worth drafting now that he's part of the Seahawks? Uh, that is a, an offense that does not have a lot of playmakers at the wide receiver position at this point. In fact, they don't have a lot of playmakers, period, outside of Russell Wilson. So uh, let's go ahead and, and, and throw that one out there and see how we, how, what do you guys think about that. Ryan, we'll start with you on that one. How do you feel about Brandon Marshall and his position now in Seattle, and how does that impact you? Your how you approach him in fantasy football? Well, thank you for coming to me first, and the one I get to come in hot on because Brandon Marshall <laughs> is a bum. Um, I, I'm not touching Brandon Marshall with ten foot pole. I I would be surprised if he um, or not surprised, but I put it at about fifty fifty. He doesn't make it out of camp. Uh, I was listening to a couple of different podcasts today that were floating around the idea of him almost kind of filling in as a as a tight end role. Um, similar to kind of replacing the Jimmy Graham uh, production last year. And mm-hmm. in case anyone's curious, one of the, one of the podcasts I was listening to uh, went in and looked at the numbers. If you take Jimmy Graham's numbers and slot it as a receiver, it would have been good for 27th best in the league. And that's assuming Brandon Marshall can produce uh, the way that Graham did and put up the, the touchdowns that Graham did last year. So uh, fantasy wise, I don't think this, that I, I'm not, I'm not taking Marshall. I mean, maybe if you're in like a 16 team league and you're looking for, for somebody deep down the line, um, that, but again, you know, he's probably going to be pretty touchdown dependent and trying to guess when a guy's going to score touchdowns outside of when he plays, uh, I think they play Chicago week two. So outside of that, I think it's going to be pretty difficult to, to guess when he's going to be productive and you can't kick him inside at all. He doesn't have the outside speed. Doug Baldwin is exclusively a slot guy. So you're not going to move him inside. Um, so I just think that it's worth kicking the tires on if you're Seattle, but I don't, I don't expect much out of him this year. All right. So Matt, what do you think about this Brandon Marshall situation? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm not huge on it either. I think Brandon Marshall is well past his prime. I understand why the Seahawks did it, and I actually think it's a pretty good NFL move, and I mm-hmm. think he can contribute to that offense that needs it. I'm just not interested in fantasy football. Um, if you want to take a late-round flyer on him, I'm not going to blame you, but don't expect to get the Brandon Marshall of old. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, you have any other thoughts on Brandon Marshall with the Seahawks? 
Uh, I'm with these guys. I'm not a big fan of Brandon Marshall. He's done something exactly one out of the last four years. He's an age 34 season coming off an injury. I honestly think Marshall's benefit is is to anybody that's not Brandon Marshall. I think that it helps Russell Wilson a little bit because it gives him another target. I think it helps Rashad Penny a little bit because Brandon Marshall is a really good blocker. But as far as, which goes back to the tight end thing that Ryan was talking about, but as far as Brandon Marshall is a fantasy option, only in deeper leagues. All right. So that's, that's what we have for you on Brandon Marshall. I, I actually have to say I was a little bit partial to him because of his, because what he did in, in Chicago. And then he just kind of fell apart a little bit after that. So it's a shame. It would be a shame to see him kind of pitter out out there in Seattle about getting some looks, but Hey, who knows? Uh, he may be worth a flyer at the end of your draft, but not a lot of excitement here. Let's go ahead and go on to the next question. And Matt, I'm going to go to you with this one first. This one is actually a more of a general strategy type question. A lot of people asked about drafting multiple wide receivers or multiple running backs from the same team. Uh, and they asked, you know, what's the strategy with that? Is that something that you'd want to aim for? And in what types of leagues would you aim to do that if so? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, and I think that's, that's one of the things that I always struggle with. It's really on a per uh, per player basis. And I'm not actually focused on the wide receivers when I'm thinking about them. I'm focused mm-hmm. on the quarterback. So a really great example is Matthew Stafford, a very underrated fantasy asset year after year. Mm-hmm. He can support multiple wide receivers because he, he puts up a lot of passing yards and touchdowns each season. So if I'm looking at Golden Tate and Marvin Jones Jr., I'm okay with having both those guys on my team. Mm-hmm. Now, another, another one I might want to avoid is you're looking at Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas. Now, I'm actually pretty high on Case Keenum this year. And I think he'll be able to support both of those guys, but nowhere near to the level. They'll get targets and they'll get receptions, but they won't get the passing yards or touchdowns to support both of those guys. So I think mm-hmm. you have to decide if you want the, the possession receiver um, or the more touchdown-dependent receiver in that situation. So I guess uh, my, my quick answer is look at the quarterback. Don't look at the wide receivers themselves. Okay, that's that's good information. That's a good way to approach that. Um, so tell me, uh, Chris, we'll go to you next. And what are your thoughts on drafting multiple wide receivers or multiple running backs on the same team? So just to piggyback what Matt said there, it's actually the offense. Like he said, quarterback. The offense as a whole you want to look at. Uh, can the quarterback sustain two targets? Does he throw enough to sustain two targets? And this goes back to tier-based drafting for me. I'm not going to steer away from a wide receiver because I own the – a wide receiver from that same team, uh, especially not in dynasty, but you know, I, I will use it as a tiebreaker at a certain tier. If I'm maybe debating between two guys, not wanting to own two people from the same team, just in case they run into a bad matchup or something along those lines. And that's again, more of a redraft philosophy than dynasty dynasty. I care a whole heck of a lot less. As far as running back, it is purely situation based. You could end up in a situation like say Chicago with Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, where, you know, Howard and Cohen both should have some value or Washington with Darius Geis and Chris Thompson, where they both should right. have some value where you got guys that are between the tackles guys, but then another distinct receiver. And in that case, I, I'm not necessarily going to hesitate, especially since that, you know, receiving back is probably going to be more of a flex play and a week to week decision for me anyway. But, um, you know, if, if it's guys like uh, Nick Chubb and a Carlos Hyde, for example, where they're the same type of back, then I, I might shy away a little bit more from that, fade both of those guys based on that. Mm-hmm. All right. And Ryan, what are your thoughts about drafting multiple running backs and wide receivers from the same team? 
Yeah, I think uh, these guys hit the nail on the head. It's uh, it's situational, but it's it's really it's not about the receivers. It's about the rest of, of the unit. And and honestly, even I'll take it one step further. Maybe maybe the whole team because. Uh, I mean, outside of the, the 2013 Denver Broncos or the 2007 Patriots, you know, a team like that where they're a wagon and it doesn't matter who they go against, they're going to get their points. There is always that risk that if you have two, you know, high-end receivers or receiver-running back combo or two high-end running backs, you know, on the same unit that come up against a, a bad matchup where they don't perform, then, you know, you could really kill yourself in two different spots on your roster. So traditionally, I'm, I'm pretty opposed to it unless, again, you're looking at one of those all-time great offenses uh, the only scenario is, and um, this early in the year, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on, on names that I would I would pair up uh, in a team right now. But if like you looked at, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers last year before all before all of Martavis Bryant's you know concerns, if you get Antonio Brown in the first round and Martavis Bryant staring at you in like round nine, I mean, you don't shy away just because of that. I mean, if the value's there and the guy's in a tier that you want to take, you know, you don't shy away because of that. But if there's a tiebreaker scenario like Chris alluded to, then yeah, yeah I'm going to give more preference to the guy who's not on the same offense that can run up against the same. Uh, you know, concern in, in week eight or, or something like that down the line. All right. A lot of agreement on this podcast. We should rename this the Kumbaya podcast. I'm really excited about how you guys are all really agreeing <laughs> to each other. It's fantastic. Usually by this point. In, uh... This feels weird. Yeah, me and Matt aren't usually <laughs> argue, but it's probably because we've talked uh, strategy and not specific play so much. <laughs> That's a good point. We'll see. Maybe we can change that a little bit. Chris, I'm going to go to the next question and start with you. Which Colts running back would you want to draft First in a PPR keeper league, Marlon Mack, Jordan Wilkins, or Neheim Hines? Well, um, gun to my head, because that's really what the scenario is, because I'm hoping I'm not in this scenario. Yeah. Um, uh, it's probably going to be in PPR, likely Marlon Mack, but Wilkins mm-hmm. is a close second. I think Hines is kind of pigeonholed. He's going to have some opportunities as a receiver and maybe as a, as a receiving back. But I think Wilkins is probably destined for more of the Frank Gore role as a between-the-tackles runner. But Marlon Mack is really the wild card here. He's coming off a of shoulder surgery, but he has the ability to both be a receiver and a between-the-tackles guy. He's got okay size. He's decent in the open field. Um, he did flash a little bit last year in, in really limited opportunities. So I, I'd probably take the upside play on Mack if I had to make a decision here. Okay, Ryan, over to you. Who would you take of that tree, Mack? Wilkins Hines. Well, I like to ride my uh, my bad takes to the end, and uh, since I got absolutely demolished <laughs> on Twitter today uh, asking about Chris Carson, I'm going to stay on the Marlon Mack train and uh, just okay. pray that he turns it around here because uh, he was another guy I was, I was high on last year. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of them. I mean, we uh, we hit on Alvin Kamara, but Carson, the the two Williamses, and uh, Marlon Mack didn't pan out so well. So, um, I mean, yeah, as Chris Chris said, there's uh there's not a lot of great options here, but I'm, I'm hoping that those flashes Marlon Mack had last year, he comes back this year, and provided that Andrew Luck can ever pick up a football again, uh, there will be enough uh, <laughs> offensive power on that on that side of the ball that, that Marlon Mack can actually flash this year. Which is clearly not a given. All right, Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, Marlon Mack, Jordan Wilkins, Naeem Hines. I know that this is a hard pass if you had a choice, but who did you pick draft first, a PPR keeper? I, if I had to, I'd pick Marlon Mack, uh, wait for him to flash one time, maybe week one or two, and then trade him for whatever I can get for him. Trade him for a future third. <laughs> for for a ham sandwich, right? <laughs> I'll take good, good call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get to another question here. Ryan, I'm starting with you this time. Let's talk about Michael Gallup of the, uh, of the uh, Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, there's no more Des Bryant, no more Jason Witten. 
All they got is Alan Hearns. They got Michael Gallup, though. What's his upside in 12-team PPR keeper leagues, and when should you draft him, if at all? Ryan, that's you. Yeah, I had my uh, my phone on mute. There. That's my bad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've never heard you had nothing to say about something before. That's really uh, that's really abnormal. <laughs> I, I tend to be pretty opinionated on the Cowboys, so I'll, I'll stick true to true to form on that. Um, I, I'm still just not high on this offense right now because I just I don't believe a lot in Dak's downfield game. Um, Gallup as an individual, I think I said this last week on the podcast, that I like him as an individual talent. I just, I'm severely, really concerned about just the, the lack of weapons there. And as we, uh, as I joked last week, Terrence Williams uh, blacking out after crashing his car and forgetting to call until he got <laughs> right. home. Uh, doesn't bode well for the weapons that continue to stay around there. And I just don't believe in a lot else. And I just, I just think they're going to be a really easy team to cover. And yeah, you're going to, Ezekiel's going to get his and, and he's going to be good in the, in the, the option game will be good. But I just, as much as I like Gallup, I just think that they're going to be an easy team to cover, and I just don't think that their their scheme is that complex enough to create stuff for them. So I, I'm I'm pretty low on him right now. I mean, dynasty leagues in a rookie draft, yeah, I'd, I would draft him pretty high because I don't I'm not a big believer in this draft class as far as the rookies that came out this year. But um, in a, in a redraft league, I, I'm looking maybe a later round flyer. All right, Matt, what do you think about that? What do you think about Michael Gallup? I like Michael Gallup. Um, I think that he presents a lot of upside. I think what's underrated about him is that he fits Dak Prescott's playing style very well as more of a possession receiver. I think he's going to tear it up in PPR, and there's just not a lot of opportunity on an offense that will move the ball. It will be primarily Zeke, and that's why he's actually my running back one this season. But Mm -hmm. somebody's got to get the ball from Dak, and and Michael Gallup is a great candidate from that. I did a did a 10 team mock draft earlier and he went in the 14th round. I'm looking at him in the 11th or 12th round. I I think he's a good option this season. All right. So Chris, what are your thoughts on Michael Gallup? Uh, A lot of what's already been said, actually. I I completely agree that he fits Dak's game. He's a big physical receiver who can fight through coverage. Uh, But I also agree with Ryan on the fact that I'm not a big believer in Dak's downfield game. So Mm -hmm. that being said, um, Probably, I think around 70 for 750 and four is his upside. So that puts him in the wide receiver two, wide receiver three type range. His current ADP, though, is 13 up two, is Matt just alluded to. So, yeah, he's a guy I'm looking to get excellent value on in the ninth and tenth round, knowing that Dallas had 242 targets vacated with the loss of Witten and Bryce Butler and Des Bryant. All right. Well, Chris, I'm going to start calling you the, the United Nations right now. You found a way to not offend anybody with their answer. That was fantastic. Well, well done. Well played, Chris. All right. Let's, let's, we only have a couple minutes left, so we're going to go rapid fire on the rest of these questions. So, hey, real quick here. Miami wide receiver that you think has the most upside in 12-team PPR keeper leagues, Devontae Parker, Danny Amendola, or Kenny Stills. Matt, what do you think? Hey, can I go Albert Wilson? <laughs> okay, yeah, you sure can. Albert Wilson flashed a few times in Kansas City last season. He showed up really well towards the end of the season, and you're going to get him the cheapest. So if you're in a deeper league, I'm taking Albert Wilson over all those guys. Oh, all right. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? Oh, uh, I'm going <laughs> to ride with Devontae Parker one last time. I'm going to okay. pray that he finally makes that leap. All right, Chris? Yeah. Kenny Stills, he's been the most consistent over the last two seasons, and Parker's not done anything, and Albert Wilson, I'm not high on. 
Wow, look at that. All three of you had different answers. I love it. This is We finally got a little bit of conflict here. I love it. So let's get to the next one then. Which, which Packers running back would you draft in a 12-team PPR league? Jamal Williams, Aaron Jones, or someone else? Let's start with you, Chris. Oh, none if I can help it, but it's going to be <laughs> I, I was like Ryan. I was on the Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones flashed more, though. He's got the best build to be able to handle it. Ty Montgomery can't stay healthy. So I'm going Aaron Jones. All right, Matt, what do you think? I want time on. I don't care if he's playing running back, a wide receiver. He won the job outright last season to start, and there was a reason. He looked real good early. I'm still hype on time on. All right. And then, Ryan, what do you think about this? Chris, you're a better man than I. I'm going to stay stubborn throughout the whole show. I'm going Jamal Williams again. All right. Let's go. Next I, one, I, real I want quick. It to be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go this one, this one uh, real quick. Christian Kirk, rookie, Arizona Cardinals. Is he worth drafting in a 12-team PPR keeper league? Let's start with you, Matt. Absolutely, 100% worth drafting. Love Christian Kirk. All right. What do you think, Chris? Uh, late Fitzgerald, Bryce Butler, both there. Uh, target's going to be hard to come by. I like Fitzgerald most this year. Okay, and Ryan, your, your thoughts? I, I, I'm a, I'm a thousand percent in uh, in later round or mid to late rounds, but I think he'll uh, he'll beat out Bryce Butler. Obviously, I think he'll slide in behind Fitzgerald, but uh, I, I like him as a as a wide receiver three. All right, well that's uh, that's all the time we got. <laughs> I can't believe it. We used up all all thirty minutes already. We're down to the last minute. So uh, hey, thanks Matt for joining us. Some awesome knowledge you dropped on our listeners today. Everyone, go check out the Top to Pod Fantasy Sports Podcast because let's be honest, we all use a little more Matt in our life, right? Plus, the Top to Pod Podcast is awesome. So just do it, Matt. Give us your social media account so people can follow you. I'm over there at Top Two Matt on Twitter. Really appreciate the follows. Loved being here. All right. Thanks, Chris, for joining us as well. Always a pleasure. Don't forget to check out the Beer Fueled Fantasy Football Podcast, which is also on YouTube, which is tons of fun, great information. And don't forget to check out next week's episode of Beer Fueled Fantasy Football Podcast, where our very own Ryan Whitfield will be a guest of Chris, Nick, and Dan as they do their division previews. Chris, give us your social media accounts so people can follow you. My personal is at HotBFF with two Ps on Twitter. You can find this. Follow the show at BeerfieldFF. It's Beerfield Fan fantasy football on youtube facebook instagram awesome ryan and your twitter and instagram so people can follow you twitter at ryan Whitfield. any instagram football underscore garbage underscore time chris look look forward to talking to you on friday man yes sir all right thanks everyone for submitting your questions this week and thanks for listening we always appreciate it thanks again to matt and chris for coming on and dropping some great fantasy football knowledge on us we we can't wait for you guys to get back on the show again next time and until next time everybody enjoy your nfl week 